We're going to carry on uh, our look at Ecclesiastes uh, by looking at that chapter 3. So if you want to uh, turn back to that in your Bible, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and that's on page 589, page 589. As you're just uh, finding that, I just uh, want to get us thinking about the weather this evening. Uh, Just a little picture to have in our minds again as we look at uh, chapter 3. Um, it's one of the things I didn't realise uh, in Cornwall was the, uh, the weather in the winter, because I'd only ever been on holiday down here in the summer. I didn't realise it was quite so changeable and, uh, and blowy and grey. But um, it's one of those things about the weather, isn't it? When you haven't got a tumble dryer, is when do you put your washing out? When is the right time to put your washing out? And uh, I had that this uh, weekend. I thought I'm going to do it on Saturday, because it's uh, sun shining. Got up, sun was shining, put my, wa- put my washing in, put it out on the line, went down, made a cup of tea... Uh, sat down and uh, started raining, <laughs> rushed out again, took it all back in uh, and gave up basically because the day was one of those days where it was uh, um, sunny and raining and sunny and raining. But it's interesting, isn't it? When we, even when we think we've got it cracked, even when we think that we have found the right time to do something and that we, uh, we know what's happening, we've looked outside the window and the sun is definitely shining, how quickly it can change, how quickly over the hill come the, uh, the grey clouds. And it's really that idea of times and seasons uh, that we're looking at today. Last time in chapter 2, we looked at the idea that uh, God gives us wonderful gifts and there's things that can give us great pleasure in this life. And we looked at the fact that Solomon um, had a lot of uh, success and a lot of possessions and was kind of uh, very successful in many areas of life, in construction and agriculture and the arts and all sorts of things. He just uh, filled his life with all those things that you would expect from somebody that was very rich and successful. But if you just get stuck in the gifts, then they bring you no satisfaction and meaning because what they're there for really is to, to make you look beyond the gifts to the giver of those gifts. And it's the same, same with the times and the seasons, that actually we may think that we know the right time to do something, but sometimes what starts out as a good thing can end up being a bad thing, or maybe we do something and we think, oh, that's gone wrong, but actually it turns out well. And actually, I think, again, we have to look beyond the times and the seasons to the author of those times and seasons, to the person that is actually working behind the scenes, if you like, working out his purposes. And you'll see in in the first uh, eight verses of this chapter, it's a very famous um, passage, uh, most people will know it, you know, unless they know their Bibles, they'll know it from the famous song in the 60s by the birds, for everything, uh, there is a season, turn, turn, turn. It's a very famous song, uh, a little bit of trivia, it's the uh, song, uh, the, the number one song in the US uh, charts in the entire history of the charts that has the oldest set of lyrics, because there's no other song that uh, got to number one in, in America whose lyrics are over uh, 2,000, 3,000 years old. So it's a little claim to fame for it. But it's a very famous passage, but people maybe just look at it, and it can be quite a nice kind of sing-along. You know, that was a very jangly pop song, just basically saying that there's different seasons and times in life, and, uh, you know, there's a time for everything. But actually, if you start to think about what that passage means and the context uh, of it in, in the book, it raises a lot of questions, really, because what it's saying is that life consists of actions and reactions that are opposites that actually it's right that there is a time to uh, begin something and there's times to end things, that actually it's a, there's times for gaining things and there's times for losing things. 
times for separating and joining, times to be silent and time to speak, times for sadness and times for joy, times for love and hate, and times for war and peace. And actually, all these different things, even though they're opposites of one another, there is a, a good time and a set time for each one of those. And actually, life without them would not be life. You know, there wouldn't be no life if everything lived and nothing died, if there was only separation and no joining, or only silence and no speech. And actually, if you think about it, each uh, purpose is appointed a time to happen, but actually it could be good or bad depending on the timing and the circumstances. So actually, loss in itself is not necessarily inherently bad, and gaining is not inherently good. Life is not necessarily, um, beginning is not necessarily good and ending bad. If you think about laughing, you know, it's good in a, in a, at a comedy show, but it's not good in a minute of silence. Or if you think about gaining, it's good if you're gaining club cards to be able to spend in your supermarket, but it's not good if you're gaining penalty points on your license through speeding. So actually, even though there is an appointed time for all of these things, we have to ask ourselves, who decides what the right time is and who decides whether something is good or bad? Because in all of these questions that the, the preacher that Solomon is asking is, is what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be good enough in the eyes of God? What does it mean to, for something to be valuable, for something to be eternal? You know, he talked about that the life is vanity, this idea that it's passing, it's fleeting, it's meaningless. But what does it actually mean for something to have permanence and value? And you'll see in verses 9 uh, to 11, he talks about who it is that's doing the working. So if there's times that are appointed for these things, then who actually is doing these things? Who is having an influence on these times? And you'll see that he mentions in verses 9 and 10, he mentions the sons of men. Well, that's us. So actually, we have a role in deciding when these times and seasons happen. But also, you'll see in verse 11, he says that God is also working. No one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So what's our role? What's human beings' role in these appointed times and seasons? Well, in verse 10, it says that the work that we're done is given by God. And you'll remember from Genesis chapter 1, 28, God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we're workers with a work that's given to us by God himself. And we can actually affect circumstances and cause some of these things to happen, some of these times or seasons to happen. Sometimes that's a conscious decision we make. We might have a conscious decision to throw something away or to begin something or to end something. Sometimes it's just uh, these seasons happen as a result of other actions. So imagine I... Um, decide to change my job, then that's a conscious decision I make. But I don't really know. It's hard to see all the repercussions of that. Maybe it'll be a wonderful time of gain where I'll gain promotion and I'll gain extra wages. Maybe it'll be a terrible time where I lose everything, where I move and uh, I lose all my friends, but I don't make new ones, where I go to a new job and it doesn't work out and I end up losing my job. So actually, some of these things we can consciously decide, but other things are just consequences of our actions. So in order to do these God-given tasks, God's given us freedom to make choices. And all of us every day have a myriad of choices 
of what we're going to do or what we're not going to do. And those choices are dependent on lots and lots of different factors. So it will be dependent on our kind of genetics and our biology. It will be dependent on our life experiences, on our character. A lot of things are very much dependent on our likes and dislikes, especially if you're deciding what to have to eat. You know, you don't often uh, automatically go to something that you hate. You go to something that you like. It will depend on our goals and our motives. What is it that we want to happen next? What do we want uh, this choice that we make to be? What do we want the fruit of that to be? And all the time we're having to do this with limited knowledge, limited ability, and and a certain set of circumstances. So actually, although we have freedom to choose, the choices that we have are limited. If you think of the example of, uh, of ice cream, if you want to go to one of these fancy ice cream shops, then you have a choice of what ice cream you buy, but only within the limit of the choices that are there. And that's actually, you also have to ask yourself, well, how much freedom do I have? Because uh, a vast majority of those I don't even like. You know, if I go to an ice cream shop and there's a choice between vanilla and chocolate, I'll go for vanilla. Some of you might go for chocolate. Why? Because I like vanilla and I don't like chocolate. But actually, I didn't choose to not like chocolate. I can't tell you a time in my past where I said, you know what, I'm going to decide not to like chocolate. So though we have free choice, those choices are limited. If you think about um, an example of that, let's imagine we've got a guy called Carl, and let's, just, let's imagine that Carl decides uh, to change his job. He's not liking the job that he's got. He's having a bit of a character clash with his boss. There's nothing he can do about it. It's just one of those things. His, Bosses like that, and he's like that, and they clash. None of them decided to clash. It's just one of those things. So he decides to move his job and to move to another town. And uh, he thinks, you know what? I can make more money in this another town, and uh, that'll mean that I can best support my family. And uh, maybe I could have enough spare money to buy a sports car because I've always wanted one of those. Because you know, when I was younger, I used to get all the magazines, and it's just been an aspiration of mine to own whatever car it is. So actually, Carl can make choices. And he makes those choices based on a variety of different factors. But actually, because we're the ones that are making those choices, we're responsible for those. And actually, you know, when I was uh, teaching psychology, and you'll see it very much as an undercurrent in everything that is discussed about behaviour these days, is this idea that because there's a reason why somebody is doing something, all of a sudden it's an excuse. Because they had a bad childhood, it's an excuse for this behaviour. Or because of their biology, it's an excuse for this behaviour. And it might be a reason why, but in no way is it an excuse. And we have to be very careful, I think, as a society, that we're not just saying, well, because there's a reason for something, that then is an excuse for it. Because the Bible is very clear that even though we, because we have choice, even though those choices may be limited or may be influenced by different factors, because we are the ones choosing and we're the ones acting, then we're the ones that are responsible Galatians 6, 7 to 9 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And if you think of our uh, our guy Carl again, you know, he is going to have to face the consequences just for him and his family of that move. So he can't just make that choice and then blame everybody else if it goes wrong. As, uh, as the head of that family, he makes a choice and he has to face up to the consequences of what that means for his family. And we'll come back uh, to Carl a little bit later. Because what I want to do now is look at what God's role is in that. So we have a role in these times and seasons. We can make certain things happen or not happen. But also God has a role as well. 
you look in verse 11, Solomon acknowledges that God is also working. The purposes of God are behind all of the changing seasons of life, pleasant and unpleasant. The Bible states multiple times, we haven't got time to go into them all, but I can give you examples afterwards if you want, that God kills and he makes alive. He wounds and he heals. He feels grief and he laughs. He's silent and he speaks. He loves and he hates. He causes wars and he destroys nations, but he also brings wars, sorry, brings peace and causes wars to cease. Job said in Job 2.10, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? You know, a lot of people and even churches have a very narrow and a very one-sided view of God that he's just responsible for all these things that they think are good and nice and that actually all those bad and horrible things as they determine them or they're, they're somebody else's fault. But actually, when you look in the Bible, there is a season for everything. And that actually, sometimes the things that we inherently think are bad are not bad if they're done for, you know, in the right season and for the right purpose. You see, God has eternal purposes and plans that no one can stop. Psalm 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. God knows the beginning from the end, but we don't. So he will accomplish his purposes in ways that we don't understand and can't even imagine. We cannot, we'll never be able to predict what the Lord does. Why? Because he knows the beginning from the end. But our knowledge is so limited. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So how does God cause these things to happen? Well, sometimes directly, and the Bible is full of examples where God speaks something and it happens, but also sometimes through other agents, through human beings, through individuals, through uh, nations, God will actually use their choices to make his purpose, uh, purposes happen. And John spoke a bit about this this morning. And uh, Peter said when he was referring to Jesus in Acts 2, 23 to 24, he said, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Who crucified Jesus? The Romans, the Jews, who crucified Jesus? God himself delivered him. Who crucified Jesus? Jesus, really. He gave himself. No one took his life from him. He freely laid it down. So you see, it is a mystery, but it's a wonderful mystery that behind the actions and the choices of people is the purposes of God, that God is working his purposes out by the choices that people are making. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake. Who's building the house? The Lord. But who's labouring? Human beings. Who's guarding the city? The Lord. Who's staying awake? The watchman. Again, it's an incredible mystery, but it's a wonderful thing that actually God is working his purposes out through the work that we do. 
And the, the incredible thing as well, and this is where my little tiny human brain uh, comes to kind of its end of its understanding, but it's a truth because it's in Scripture, is that even in the evil that people do, God can achieve his purposes. God will even use that which people are trying to use for evil for good. And the obvious example of that is the crucifixion of our Lord. But also think of the story of Joseph, Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people. You know, it's true God never does evil. He can't do evil. But he is so powerful and so wonderful that he can use those evil intentions of actions of people to bring out his good purposes. Therefore, God can, as we hear in verse 11, make all things beautiful in their time. Even those things that we may look at and go, oh, why is that happening now? Or why is that happening at all? It's just such a bad thing to happen. God can make it beautiful in its time. And for those that love him, for those that are called according to his purpose, what does he do? He brings good out of all things. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And I just want to stop there for a minute, because if you love the Lord tonight, what an incredible truth that is. Whatever is happening in your life, however you look at your life, you may think that something awful is happening, where nothing possibly can good can come of it. You may think that your life has gone horribly wrong and all your aspirations and dreams have been dashed. But actually, the Lord is using it for good. You know, the Bible says that even those sufferings that we are going through are nothing compared to the weight of glory that God is working out. It's an incredible promise. And actually, if we can grasp hold of it, it can bring us such peace and rest in difficult times because it means that we don't have to have comfort and joy, uh, you know, joy in the, in the pleasure of life. We don't have to be like uh, Solomon who was desperately trying to find pleasure and meaning in the things of life. No matter what is happening in our life, God is working good behind the scenes. Now, God has revealed many of intentions and instructions in the Bible, and we would refer to this as his revealed will. There's lots that we do know about what God loves, what he hates, uh, his promises, what he is going to do in the future. <clears throat> but actually, a lot of his plans, and maybe most of his plans, and certainly the specifics of his plans, are hidden from us. We know nothing about them. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says... The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which were revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. And how sad it is in so many churches that they are so seek, uh, seeking the secret will of God, so trying to find out what God's going to do in the future or what we, they should do in their lives and not really doing anything until they you know, hear a, a special word from him, that actually they're not doing what he's revealed how much the focus is on words from God rather than the word of God. But how much, how important is it that if we love the Lord, we do what he says and then trust the rest to him? As we noted before, man's ability to choose and work is God-given, something that he has given us. But as we don't know the secret plans of God and the bigger picture, we can only base our decisions on what we know and then trust the outcome to God. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Can you see the two things acting there? It's right that we plan, 
We don't just kind of give up and go, well, the Lord will sort it out. We'll just not choose anything or not decide anything. Uh, believe me, I've tried it. I'm terrible at making decisions. and I've tried just sitting there until God does something. It doesn't work. Why? Because we have to look in our hearts. We have to act upon what we feel is the wise and the right thing to do. But actually, the outcome of it is something that God decides. Proverbs 19, 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And there may not be, and this is going to be the frustrating thing, there may not necessarily be a direct link, a direct correlation between what we do and its fruit or its beauty. So we might be doing all the right things, but we might not be seeing the expected fruit from that. Or we might be doing the right, all the right things, but actually everything around us seems to be falling apart and we wonder whether we're doing all the wrong things. But the important thing is that as much as we, as I said, we determine what we do, and if we're following the word of God, we might even be doing all the right things. Actually, God determines the time for the fruit and the beauty of these. And sometimes the two things don't come together. If you think of seeds that you plant in the garden, sometimes they come up very quickly. Sometimes it's years before you see the fruit of the things that you've sown. But it's so important that we carry on doing what is right, even if we don't see the fruit of it. Because God will work through our work and he leads us through the decisions we make. You know, it's an incredible truth, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, that we are God's fellow workers, that God works together with us to accomplish his purposes. And, you know, some of the things uh, that we do, even the right things that we do, maybe things that we've been doing right and giving ourselves to for years and years, maybe even decades, we're not going to see the beauty of those things until after death. Some things will only appear beautiful in the light of eternity, when seen as part of God's greater purposes. So God wants us to rest and rejoice, knowing that he's in control. And you'll see that in verses 12 to 15. In verses 12 to 13, we see that trusting God to work all things for good means that we can trust the bigger picture to him and not stress about the outcomes. We're called to rejoice and do good in our lives, we're called to eat and drink and enjoy the good of our labour. This is the gift of God. Why? Because we know that God is working behind the scenes. We can find joy in his sovereignty and his love for us. We can focus on serving him and doing good. We can seek first his kingdom, knowing that all the other things will be added to us. We can enjoy and be content with our lot and the simple things of life. We don't have to have what everybody else has. We don't have to be envious and jealous we can be content with what God has given us. We can enjoy the work that we do. We don't have to have a job that everybody else thinks, that society thinks is better than the one that we've got. We can find joy and contentment knowing that we work and serve the Lord in whatever we're doing. And you'll see in verse 14 that unlike our purposes, God's plans are eternal and independent. Nothing can stop them. Nothing can add to them or take away from them. He acts in space and time to reveal who he is, that we should fear him and love him. Ephesians 1, 9 to 10 says, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. See that? In himself. God is so self-sufficient that everything he chooses and decides comes from within. He doesn't have to be influenced by anything from outside. He is not like us that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, 
both in heaven and which are on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of his works, all things according to the counsel of his will. Isn't it amazing that God has decided all things already, and now it's just a question of time working those things out. Verses 16 and 17 make it clear that only God can judge the times and the seasons. Because he's in that special position of knowing the beginning from the end, of having a will and a purpose and the power to see that through, nothing can stop the counsel of his will. There's no one else that can look upon the acts of human beings from that position of objectivity from eternity. Therefore, only God can judge what we do. Only God can judge whether the times and the seasons are good or bad, whether at the right time or the wrong time. In verse 9, Solomon identified that the most common way that we judge the actions and seasons is profit. When we judge whether something is good or bad, whether we're glad we did it or we didn't do it, whether someone else should have done it or not, is whether it's favourable or pleasurable outcome, usually for ourselves. You know, we have a very narrow perspective on things and we can look at it to say, well, is that good? From my point of view, has that had a, a favourable or a pleasurable outcome? But this evaluation is so weak and limited because it depends on our perspective. It depends on our interpretation of those actions. And that will be influenced by our morals, by our culture, by our goals and our values. Think of the famous saying, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Or one man's meat is another man's poison. Let's consider Carl again. Do you remember he changed his uh, job and took a risk and moved? Well, the loss of his job and the gaining of his new job, uh, a new boss that he'd gone on with and a new promotion, were all good in his eyes. Um, They met his desire to provide for his family. They met his desire to enjoy his work. But for his wife, the loss of her friends and a house that she loved were all bad. She couldn't see any good in that move at all. She feels that Carl has been selfish. She's not thought about her needs or the needs of the family. She takes the kids and she moves out. She's so upset that she goes and stays with her mum. Obviously, this affects Carl and uh, that new wonderful sports car that he's been able to, uh, to buy. He crashes it and he ends up in hospital. But whilst in hospital, uh, scans reveal that he's got a cancer, which, because they've caught it early, is now treatable. Carl's previous employer, he finds out, has gone bust. And as a result of his near-death experience, Carl and his wife have a real heart-to-heart and get back together stronger than ever. So if you think about even that little, simple, contrived story, whether we judge Carl's actions as positive or negative depend on whose perspective we take. But it also depends on when in the story we make our judgment. Halfway through, we might think he's made a terrible mistake. Maybe at the end, we think, oh, well, it's all worked out well. So as our life and work is given by God, only he can judge it in the light of eternity. Solomon realised that God was the only one that can judge whether it's good or bad. Not us, not society, not anyone else. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, Every man, sorry, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 5, With me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. 
but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. In verse 16, we see that due to the fall, there's injustice and iniquity in the world. People are doing wrong things and things at the wrong time. But God is allowing this in order for some to be saved. You know, this is a day of grace. If you're worried about all the iniquity and the wrong that's happening in the world, don't be, because this is a day of grace. But there will be a day of judgment. Look at verse 15 and verse 17. A day of judgment is coming when God will bring all things to account. Every action, every motive. Nobody gets away with anything. Even though judgment may be delayed, judgment is coming. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans 2.16 says, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And finally, in verses 8, 18 to 22, we see that as human beings, we have to act in the context of eternity. If we fall into the trap, as so many people do these days, of just acting as though the physical is all there is, as though this life is all there is, then we're missing the real meaning of life. If you look in verses 18 to 22, Solomon compares us to animals, and he says, yes, it's right, we are made from dust, just as the animals are, and we will return to dust, just as the animals will. We have many physical aspects in common with them. Many of the physical things in our bodies are also shared by animals, the main one being that we're all going to die. So if the physical is all there is, then our earthly ventures, all the work that we do under the sun, has no more meaning and value than those of a bird or a mouse. They build houses, they have families, and if the physical is all there is, then our life is just the same as them. But the physical is not all there is. There's more to life, and the true meaning of life can only be found in the eternal. We are made in the image of God, and we have a spirit that will live on after death. Our work under the sun will have eternal consequences. We will be judged for every thought every action, every motive. But God is also at work to reveal this truth to us and to save us from ourselves. So what can we say in conclusion? Well, if you love the Lord Jesus tonight, you can rest with me and we can do our best because God has chosen us and is in control of the bigger picture. He doesn't want to live for us to live in the anxiety and fear of making the wrong decision or doing something wrong. Yes, we should be wise. Yes, we should read the word and find out what pleases the Lord. But we can rest in the fact that he has chosen us and that he is working his purposes out. He is in control. Ephesians 1, 4 says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. When God chose us, he chose us on that day of judgment to be holy and blameless before him. There is no doubt that those of us that are chosen that love the Lord will appear before him without spot, without blame. Why? Because of the Lord Jesus. Not because of us and our best efforts, because of what Jesus has done. Because he's done it, it is secure. So whatever seasons we go through in life, we can make choices and act on them, trusting that God will work everything for good. 
We know that God will work out his purposes and bring all things into judgment and that there's no condemnation now for us because Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin. And if you're not a Christian, then maybe you say with that famous poem, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, if you do, then you're only seeing half the picture, the physical and not the eternal. You see, a day of judgment is coming where God will judge everything in your life, every purpose, every secret thought or motive. That actually, yes, in some respects, you can choose and you can determine certain things in your life, but you don't know the beginning from the end. You're not God. And you can only be good in his sight by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough. Pray to God that he will work this salvation in you. Amen.